Hi, I'm Vicki Hudson-Craig. Welcome to my podcast, Melanoma Heart. I invite you to join me as I navigate living with stage 4 melanoma. I hope to raise awareness of melanoma and to show that living with a terminal illness does not have to be a sad story. Following initially the acronym of melanoma, I will introduce you to some of my friends as we have heart-to-heart chats dealing with life and cancer. As we share heartfelt moments over a wine or a coffee, they will ask me how I deal with my illness. Me and my heart have had some adventures. Come along for more as I make every moment count. Laugh and cry with me as I face normal life aspects from a different perspective. Welcome to my podcast, Melanoma Heart. This is the second episode, E for Expense. I have moved away from chatting with my friends just for this episode and welcome Malcolm Mulholland. Malcolm is an academic and an advocate who with his late wife, Wiki, founded the advocacy group Patient Voice Aotearoa. The group has successfully campaigned for the review of Pharmac and for numerous medications to be funded for New Zealanders like me. Malcolm too is a fellow cancer patient and he fully understands the implications and the cost of living with cancer. I couldn't think of anyone better to discuss the expense aspect of living with cancer in New Zealand. Welcome Malcolm and thank you for joining me. Thanks for the invite, pleasure to be here. Um, So this podcast episode is around the expense of living with cancer, um, specifically in New Zealand. And there's sort of many aspects of of, um, living, you know, the expense of cancer, appointments, travel, so on, can all all add up. But from my journey, obviously, um, I'm on unfunded medication. So there's kind of a two really big aspects around expense in New Zealand, and this is around the funding of medication and also access to medications. Um, and there's been a report in the news of late where New Zealand's featuring rather low in the rankings for the OECD. Um, can you just tell us, talk to us a little bit around where New Zealand sits in the world? Um, because this is something that's very new to me and I think a lot of my, my listeners probably won't be aware as well. Yeah, so we've known for some time that New Zealand is behind the eight ball in comparison with other developed countries or countries that belong to the OECD. Um, and we had always suspected that we might be in, say, the bottom third. That report that was released uh, last week uh, came out and said actually we're dead bottom. Um, we can't get any lower than what we currently are. So we're behind mm-hmm. uh, every other country in the OECD. That includes Hungary, that includes Latvia, Estonia, other countries where I think if we were to compare ourselves in terms of GDP per capita or in terms of our wealth, we would probably um, be doing better. So it doesn't quite follow that, you know, for example, um, we're at the bottom because we have the most unproductive economy. Um, That just doesn't equate. Mm. So we've got a long way to go. Um, And and one of our arguments has always been that in order to just be average with the other OECD countries, we would have to basically um, triple Pharmax budget from what it currently is. So at the moment, it receives around about, well, actually just over a billion dollars, 1.3. It's, it's had some recent increases as of late, mm. but it really needs to be around the $3 billion mark or about 15% of vote health in order to 
they have um, a budget that is comparable to the average OECD budget. Wow, that, I mean, that's a huge amount, isn't it? Do you, do you see much political will um, around that? Um, it's, it's been really difficult because I think for a long time, including our political leaders, they've all believed that Farmac is the envy of the world. Um, and it's um, delusional. Yeah. Uh, I've just come from a conference in Sydney. In the room were patient advocates, were industry leaders, but there were also politicians there. And, you know, I made the comment, our political leaders believe that Pharmac's the envy of the world. The entire room, of which there are about 300, laughed. <laughs> I, can, I would have laughed too. <laughs> yeah. It's the cruelest joke going, right? Yeah. And so um, they came up to me afterwards, some of the politicians, and actually said, yeah, we're aware that some of your political leadership have been saying this. We don't know why they would say it. Um, certainly, if you're an accountant or if you're worried about expenditure, yes, it is the envy of the world because it doesn't buy medicines. That's yeah. their understanding, and it's pretty, you know, on the money. Um, and I think the other point that they were, they were really trying to make was that a model like Pharmac would never survive in Australia. Mm. One of them said to me, if we had Pharmac, um, so they have PBS, which is um, their equivalent of Pharmac in Australia. Yeah. He said, if they had the Pharmac model, they would be lynched on the street and they would be up to their armpits in um, court cases about being denied uh, or denying Australian human rights. And yeah. um, again, it's hard to disagree with that. No, and that's certainly something, and I think I touched on it once with you in messages in the past, you know, the um, the lawyer in me was um, trying to find way, <laughs> ways to argue around, you know, from my personal pos position, I just couldn't understand how, you know, such a mainstream drug that's available in so many other countries is, is not funded, is not even close to looking like it's going to be funded. And how, you know, from a human rights or bill of rights or, you know, right to life aspect, how how that can be, um, and why why we aren't doing more, um, you know, as a voting population to change that. No, I think that's the key is that we do have to vote accordingly and and really deliver that message to the politicians to say this isn't good enough. So we are coming into the election cycle now. And mm. one of the things that we're going to be really hot about is what are your policies in terms of two aspects. One, the budget. Absolutely. Um, mm. We have to increase it and massively so. But second of all, what reform are you actually going to do on farming? And there are a number of things we'd like to see out of that. I think if that was to happen, the uh, case for Pharmac to receive more funding from Treasury would actually be made a lot easier um, mm. for the bureaucrats who work in Pharmac and also for the Minister of Health, who ultimately makes the case. So there are a number of things that need to happen. I think in terms of the human rights stuff, I've been really keen um, to see a case actually go forward and say, you don't fund this medicine, which has funded the world over, therefore you are denying the right to live. And mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to argue against that. I think where we kind of fall down, we being New Zealand, is that we have a very poor um, human rights framework by which yeah. we can actually take the government to. Um, and so that's one of the problems that we have um, here in New Zealand. But I'd love to mm -hmm. see a test case. I really yeah, because um, someone took the someone did try to go to the Human Rights Commission, didn't they? But and and um, it did get 
get quite far and and they did actually say that you know it should be funded but at the end of the day it's still in Pharmax hands isn't it to to whether they um actually take that on board and there's no actual sort of way to to enforce that no so that that case that you speak of was done by Fiona Tolich and she's mm. one of um, our trustees for patient voice and in that instance that was about funding Spinraza um, for children with spinal muscular atrophy um, mm. the number one genetic killer of kids so um, she did that um, she found that the human rights basically supported everything that she was saying um, right, but so. said, uh, there's no point in pursuing this because um, the legislative framework is just too poor for you to get the outcome that you seek. So the only thing they were able to do was to be public about the condemnation of not funding the drug and also mm. to be um, critical around Pharmax processes for funding drugs. Um, but again, you know, it fell to Pharmax to fund the drug, but also there needed to be political will. And, and, and I mm. think the public are connecting the dots you can't no longer just say it's up to Pharmac and it's Pharmac's responsibility. Pharmac has to be funded properly. The only yeah. way that that can happen is by the politicians. Yeah, and I think that's really key because throughout um, the battle that I've been having in the last um, sort of 19 months, you know, so many we've been asking um, for crowdfunding, which I'll come on to, but um, so many people have said yeah we'll you know we'll donate but what can we do how can we how do we fix this how do we get the drugs funded and that's the answer isn't it it's it's using the only way is to use the vote and use the voice yeah um unfortunately that is the case <clears throat> and i think you know what what we've been doing over the past say five years well since i've i've been involved and we've set up patient voice aotearoa and we've had kindred spirits meet up who all experience the same story with Pharmac, you know, they can't fund the drug and they'll pull out a, a range of excuses, but everybody knows it's budget related, mm. um, you know, is um, that, you know, ultimately the politicians are responsible for Pharmac, that is their responsibility and it's also their responsibility to fund it properly. And, you know, people can um, be very vocal about it. We've done our best to raise awareness via media and social media as well. Um, and I think, um, you know, it, it, it actually kind of saddens me, Vicky, because it's actually a really good example of a system that is broken. Yeah. You shouldn't have to do that, right? No. You shouldn't have to sign a petition, march yeah. in the streets and make your case. In other countries, that's kind of abnormal behaviour. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, because they found a drug. They found yeah. a drug. And, and yeah. they see it as a human right. Whereas New Zealand, that's, uh, you know, the psyche is, well, I wouldn't say for the general public, but certainly for the politicians of Pharmac, the psyche is entirely different. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I really don't think they sort of connect the dots into just what it means. And how on do you have a guess as to how many New Zealanders are, are living like we are trying to crowdfund just to stay alive? Essentially, I mean that's what we're doing. Yeah, I mean, look, our crowdfunding, our main crowdfunding platform, Give a Little. Um, has been going gangbusters for uh, a number of years now. Um, I can recall at one point there was something like 5,000 pages um, mm. where people were asking for funding for funding. But if you want to put it into um, uh, the population context of basically patients who are missing out. Yeah. So if we think about it in terms of a pill, in terms of what I would probably label a hard drug, there's yeah. about 175,000 people well, right yeah. now who are missing out. 
And if, if we include vaccines, it actually goes to a million. You know, New Zealand only has a population of five and a half million. Yeah. So it's a big chunk of the population. And yeah. I think people just need to wake up to that. And I think the more, you know, these things are in the headlines daily. And like you say, they shouldn't be. But you don't, it, every single day, you know, you'll open social media or someone like us is or like me is asking for money, is asking for help essentially in something that you know should be a basic provision but um it is so common and i think maybe as more people know someone in that position the understanding of the ramifications will it's like a ripple effect isn't it you know like i'm in my bubble where it's just me but the more people i ask for help the more the message gets out there and the more that hopefully people will realize that they need to do more than than donate that they actually need to put an end to this um it's quite interesting to know what you think about the numbers because i couldn't actually find any information on how many people are on the drug i'm on no one seems to know um i mean i'm sure that someone does but <laughs> it's certainly not public um and i think yeah the um just the 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 number of times that you see these heartbreaking stories um it something needs to change and it needs to change far hopefully it'll change within my lifetime but you know things don't move very fast <laughs> yeah no they don't and it's glacial pace and and you know that's certainly been um, one of our major frustrations so in terms of at the moment as things stand i've as um someone going through this i found it really hard to know who to turn to or what to do and we're almost at the point now where we'll actually have to consider leaving new zealand if um if i want to well, hopefully stay on these on this medication and that again that seems to be another um issue coming out of that is that you know you've got educated working non-working whatever type of people you've got are going to be leaving the country because they you know living is you know <laughs> they've got to do it you know yeah yeah i mean you know, do you, do you get a sense of that's becoming more common yeah absolutely um we've certainly noticed that over the years we've been doing it that more and more people are looking to go overseas and certainly since it's been in media i think more and more people are having honest conversations with if they've got cancer their oncologist and mm. saying to them you know what would be the standard of care that you'd like to give me but it's not funded here and more often than not they'll rattle off one maybe even several medicines um they would like to give but they can't and so they're put in a position a really crappy position of having to look to go overseas we talked mm. before about the human rights case and my colleague or fellow trustee fiona tovich yeah. so fiona herself has spinal muscular atrophy it's a rare disorder mm -hmm. um type three and because it's not funded for adults and because she's very worried about her health um in which case if you lose um if, if your body uh loses some of the genes then you can't actually get them back so it's it's a bit one way traffic anyway mm -hmm. she shifted to sydney she's had to uproot her entire family and I know that there's roughly about 25% of that community that are now living in Australia. Wow. Um, and that's just that community alone. 
So when it comes to cancer patients, I'm certainly aware. I, I know of, for example, one family that went to Singleton in New South Wales um, in order to get the drugs that they needed. And I'm certainly aware of patients who have shifted to the UK as well. Yeah. Well, that's, I mean, when I spoke to my oncologist around it, she said, I think you'll have to move. That that was her solution, you know, and when and when you've got a young child and a family and you know I've married a Kiwi who's never lived you know a, he spent a brief, brief spent stint in Australia but to do that is is such a hard and expensive I mean it costs as much to move as um, you know to to fund the medicine. Yeah, I, I think there's a couple of things that you know don't quite make economic sense either. Um, I mean because we always focus on human rights as we should and the health of you know people that we love and we want to see around for as long as we can mm -hmm. but there is definitely that economic argument i think you touched on it before where you talked about you know you're a working person i think a lot of people who aren't familiar with cancer kind of have this image and i noticed this with my late wife that they are bedridden that they don't work, that they don't pay yeah. taxes, and that all they are is a drain on the system. And, and you know, you and amongst a number of others are living proof that that's clearly not the case. You can actually mm. be healthy and manage your illness as best you can, and in the meantime, paying taxes. And I think, too, we, we don't, in Pharmac's decision-making process, consider what's known as a societal benefit. So the framework that they currently use to make assessments is actually quite dated in terms of health technology assessment, even to compare ourselves to other countries. Now, Grant Robertson, and people will be familiar with the wellbeing budget. So he basically issued an edict to all government agencies. And he said, when you put your budget in, I want you to apply the wellbeing framework. And that included Pharmac, but Pharmac didn't do it. And they right. still don't do it. And so they're a little bit like a law unto themselves. But if they were to do that, they could start to really factor in what the cost would be of not funding the medicine. What would yeah. the financial impact be on you and your family, as well as other associated costs? Not so, you know, not just the hard medicine stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's just the the whole, as you said before, going back, the whole system is just broken and you feel like when you are a taxpayer you know you you're paying your taxes and the fundamental basis of what a government does as as i see it is they they provide for their population and health is one of those core surely core objectives as to what a government is there for you know like if what else <laughs> i mean there's other aspects as well but health is fundamental isn't it you know health education and security <laughs> yeah that's right i mean you've got those those things covered you're doing pretty good i think and it's yeah. giving you you know start in life and and the support in life that everybody needs and you're absolutely right and i i don't know how many times people have come up to me and i i don't necessarily think that this is the answer by the way but they've, they have said i would be happy to pay more tax in order yeah. to get more medicines funded if i knew that that's where the tax dollar dollar was going to go yeah. Um, I have a slightly different argument in that I actually think if you funded more medicine, you find savings elsewhere in the health system. And so I don't think there is a need to increase taxes. Yeah. But um, that, I think, is, is where real frustration creeps in with Joe Blogg because they see government essentials of life. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, 
Now, we also um, touched on, obviously, I mean, this doesn't, this moves away from my journey as such, but I know that it's something that's very close to what you're working on at the moment, and that's around access to medication. And I just wanted to um, touch on it because it's something that um, applies to a lot of people in suffering with cancer and other illnesses. But um, can you just touch on this? It's the therapeutics bill um, that's going through at the moment. And the headlines um, that I've read say, you know, we won't be able to fundraise for medications, we won't be able to have access. Can you just explain exactly what the implications of the bill will be? I mean, I'm sure they're they're extensive, but in terms (laughs) of sort of the access to medication aspect, could you just explain sort of in layman's terms a little bit about what's going on? Yeah, so there, there are four things that we're really worried about, and you touched on a couple. One is about the ability for patients to have a give a little page or to speak publicly uh, in the media about an unfunded medicine. So at the moment, what the intent of the legislation is, is that they want to prevent um, what's known as direct-to-consumer advertising from pharma to Joe Blogs on the street. So this is the case where you turn on your television, you see an ad, it'll say, here's this drug, go see your your GP and get them to prescribe it to you. The government want to prevent that. That's okay, but they've gone a step too far in the way in which they've defined an advertisement. And so lawyers have come back and said, this actually includes things like give a little pages. You need to you know ease off here so that's one two is about um, patients who by prescription import medicines so this is particularly around generics um, which often come from india because that's where their market is uh, and patients receive it by post um, i think what's motivating the government to try and stop that is be a fear of those drugs either not working or doing harm to the patient. I think what they've done though, is they have created a solution for a problem that doesn't exist because when they asked the authorities, do we have a problem here? They couldn't quantify it. They couldn't actually state hand on heart. Yes, we have a major problem. Um, And so uh, if that was to go through, what that would then do is place the patient as a drug mule because they would have to physically every three months go to the place of origin, to the country of origin, and then bring it back with them, um, probably by, by you know, by plane. Uh, the, the third thing is around clinical trials. So at the moment, we actually have a really good clinical trial framework. It's run by the Health Research Council, and they have to make a decision within 45 days. That responsibility is going to be transferred to MedSafe, which is an agency notoriously slow for registering medicines. We're actually one of the slowest ones in the OECD. So we're, and patients access medicine through clinical trials. It's uh, a must have for some. And so we're saying just don't touch it. And the last um, problem that we have is what's known as Section 29. So Section 29 enables patients to receive a drug that's unregistered with MedSafe in the current Medicines Act. There's no Section 29 equivalent in the new legislation. All drugs that patients must um, that patients receive have to be um, registered and pay a license fee. So it plays a really important part in terms of compassionate access where a drug company is giving a patient a drug for free. The argument is, why would a drug company pay MedSafe for a license 
for something they're giving for free. Yeah. They're actually giving money away. It economically yeah. doesn't make sense. So those are sort of, you know, they're a little bit technical. Um, we went into quite a bit of depth there, but those are the four problems that we have in terms of um, medicine access under the new therapeutic products bill. Yeah. So pulling it back to um, sort of into into my world, if you like, at the moment. So my give a little page for my medication, that, w that would be caught. Um, yeah. So yeah. That, that, and, and what you could face is up to $200,000 fine or five years imprisonment. Even us having this discussion right now about unfunded medicines could very well yeah. be labelled an advertisement. It's frightening, isn't it? Because that, that page is keeping me alive. <laughs> it is. Um, I, I honestly don't think the government will go through with it. I think there would be such an uproar once you know, the, the, the voters and the public become aware of what it is that they're doing. We've been trying our best to raise awareness and we've had yeah. some success around that. Um, but I think if they were to actually follow through with this um, yeah. and, and pass the legislation or pass the bill as it's worded, I, I think um, there would be protests left, right and centre. I hope so. <laughs> I really hope so. Um, and but I think it is it does go back to one of those things isn't it like people when it's someone else's problem people don't really think about it and then it's not until you're right in front of them and you say if this happens I will die <laughs> you know like that's taking it down to a very basic level that that is what it would mean for me and those 5,000 other people that have got give a little pages flying around at the moment yeah, I, I, I mean, a lot of people have had an experience, not personally perhaps with cancer, but they're probably aware of an auntie or a, a grandparent or a loved one who has had an encounter with it. One really good analogy that, um, again, I'm going to name drop, but Fiona Tollich uses, <laughs> that I've heard her use time and time again, and it's really quite effective for people who, you know, as you say, but doesn't directly affect them, people tend to be a bit selfish right yeah. it's not my problem it's somebody else's um i don't have to be involved or see it but why is it that we have this mindset about underfunding medicines and not funding medicines to the level that we should be yet we don't do that for any other aspect of the health system so yeah. for the argument's sake you have a heart attack you're picked up by an ambulance you're taking the ed we don't stop you at the door and go we haven't got the funds sorry can't treat you yeah you know we don't yeah. do that. Um, you're in a car crash. You need the jaws of life. The fire brigade turn up. Again, they don't stop you and go, oh, actually, we haven't got the funds, so we can't do that. Yeah. But we do it for medicines. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's a really good analogy because that's exactly the, it's exactly the same situation. And, and like you said, it's not like we're asking for medicines that are unusual or... Um, you know, like, oh, fund every Medicaid. These are medicines that are funded in Australia, UK, Canada, most of the countries that we would align ourselves with and, and in ones that we would think we're better than, <laughs> for, better, for want of a better word, you know. Yeah. Um, and we do think that, and, you know, you lift, you pop the bonnet and then you take a closer look and you go, oh, I don't like the look of this. Um, yeah. And, and the other way. But... Yeah. Until you're living it, you fully don't really understand it, do you? No. 
and and again, you know, people have to realise that. Um, I, I think the more the public become educated around cancer, the better. The different stages. Um, I've I've got to admit, when Wiki was diagnosed, we had had very little dealings with cancer. Again, I could probably yeah. say yeah. I remember a cousin who yeah. who had breast cancer who who died, but I was probably quite young at the time. Mm. Um, and we had no experience of it. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until she got the diagnosis, our world was turned upside down. We had a crash course. And I mean, even if you use the, this is one of the fascinating things, Vicky, if you use the word oncology, some people don't know what that means. No, no, I know. <laughs> yeah. If you use the word cancer, they do. Mm. Um, even in the, even if we use the word pediatric, you know, again, it, yeah. you know, you say the word kids, oh, yeah, I understand yeah. it. So there, there's another part of, I think, the equation where we have to break down the language and put it in layman terms so, so everybody can understand what's going on. Yeah, and I think I find that with melanoma too, particularly when I was first diagnosed in the UK, you know, like the term melanoma, so many people said to me, oh, it's just a bad mole, you just have it taken off, it'll be all right. My wife's had two of those. <laughs> No, <laughs> it's not. It's that's about the staging, right? Yeah. You know, people think get it early, you're good, and they don't understand. Yeah. It gets to the lymph node and it metastasizes. Mm. Or doesn't even have to. Yeah, doesn't. You know, mine just popped up in my heart. You know that it, these cancers are they're becoming um, they're becoming clever. They're becoming different. They're becoming more apparent in younger people. You know, there's so many aspects now that people do need to become you know more more educated around it i think i think you're right you know just based on my own experience especially with women with breast cancer i did notice um over that five-year period i felt more younger women were being diagnosed with a more aggressive form mm. um and you know more of them were de novo stage four uh you know first time diagnosis stage four yeah um and and that's a really scary trend actually um, yeah. And one that well, let's do better. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, it's becoming something that we'll we'll all hear about, um, and it shouldn't be. I think I've um, I've covered all the the bits I wanted to cover with you. Is there anything else that um, you think that you know you would like a message across to any to a new audience of people that may be listening? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that we often talk about is our frustration with what we label the well community. <laughs> By that, people who don't have cancer or haven't had an experience of it. And, mm. you know, we, 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 we need um, comrade in arms. You know, we need the well community to jump on board. Everybody's only one diagnosis away from this happening to them. And I don't mean to scare Munger and, and put the fear of God into people. That's not what I'm saying. But mm. you just don't know when this is going to happen. Yeah. And I think also there are a lot of um, stereotypical thoughts out there about cancer. You know, you drink too much. Mm. You're overweight. Um, yes. You know, maybe you've smoked. Been in so, the sun so too much. So with lung cancer, you've been mm. in the sun too much, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm. So, you know, we often get that sort of stigma attached with lung cancer is a really good example where mm. everybody thinks, you smoke, it's your own fault. Well, 20% of people who get lung cancer have never smoked in their lives. Mm. The reason why Wiki got breast cancer, or 
from what we like to believe from her oncologist, was actually to do with her the density of her breast. Didn't have mm. anything to do with her weight or her lifestyle choices. In fact, you know, Wiki ran marathons and, and was quite amazing with her own health. Mm. So uh, we just have to get rid of those sort of generalizations, I think, that are, that are conjured up. Yeah, definitely. I agree, especially, you know, from the melanoma aspect where immediately people think that you're a sunbather or tanning beds or, you know, I've never done art even. I've never been one for the for sunbathing and I've certainly never been on a tanning bed. So, um, yeah, you're absolutely right that those those cancers can affect any one of us at any time. And the, it isn't scaremongering, it, it's reality. And, um, and and I think the other thing too, too, Vicky, is when you meet with your oncologist and you've probably had the same experience, they will talk about tools in their toolbox. And, you know, the more mm. tools they have in their toolbox, the longer mm. they can keep you healthy and alive for. And in New Zealand, we're very poor in that yeah. front because we don't fund enough medicines. Yeah. So we need to give our specialists the tools that they need in order for us to have good, long lives. Some cancers now are actually managed chronic diseases mm. you know yeah. you can live a very long time yeah a very long time if managed well and so we need to get our heads around that as well but yeah, yeah. anyway and and to applaud your efforts um vicky i i think you're a wonderful advocate for your community you. i'm always following what you're doing um and raising awareness and i've just got nothing but admiration um thank you, know, you. We, we went through it with, with wiki i've had my own cancer diagnosis yeah and bloody scary yeah it is but i just take my head off to you thank you so much and thank you so much for coming on and i'm really pleased to hear that your own diagnosis is um clear and long may you stay in good health and um i really appreciate and um I will join in as many advocacy things that you do that I can. <laughs> so keep me posted as well. I will. All you right. take care. Thanks, Malcolm.